Last week, we began to consider the concept of disappointment. When we're thinking about disappointments, we, we must acknowledge that life isn't fair, and it isn't. Life is not fair. The second thing we said is that God has a bigger plan, a bigger purpose for our lives than just our disappointments. We also said that in the midst of our disappointments, we need to rely on one another, that God put us together in a body for a reason. We need each other. We need to rely on one another in times of disappointment. And then finally, we need to be careful not to let our disappointment lead us to bitterness, which it often does. And so with those things in mind, we began to talk about the general disappointments that we have in life. When life itself disappoints us. But what about when we're disappointed by others? That's a little different. There's a difference in, you know, just life isn't fair to you're not fair. You've disappointed me. You've hurt me. You've let me down. And in the spirit of... Charlie Brown, I want to share this little video with you that kind of makes the point. Hey, have you come to sing pumpkin carols? You blockhead, you're going to miss all the fun just like last year. Don't talk like that. The great pumpkin knows which kids have been good and which kids have been bad. You'll be sorry. Oh, good grief. He'll come here because I have the most sincere pumpkin patch and he respects sincerity. Do you really think he'll come? Tonight the great pumpkin rises out of the pumpkin patch. He flies through the air and brings toys to all the children of the world. That's a good story. You don't believe the story of the great pumpkin? I thought little girls always believed everything that was told to them. I thought little girls were innocent and trusting. Welcome to the 20th century. All right, once and for all, are you coming or are you staying? We can't waste all night. If anyone had told me I'd be waiting in a pumpkin patch on Halloween night, I'd have said they were crazy. Just think, Sally, when the great pumpkin rises out of the pumpkin patch, we'll be here to see him. Was that? Was that? I hear the great pumpkin. There he is. There he is. It's the great pumpkin. He's rising up out of the pumpkin patch. What happened? Did I faint? What did he leave us? Did he leave us any toys? I was robbed. I spent the whole night waiting for the great pumpkin when I could have been out for tricks or treats. Halloween is over and I missed it. You blockhead! You kept me up all night waiting for the great pumpkin. And all that came was a beagle. I didn't get a chance to go out for tricks or treats. And it was all your fault. Also, what a fool I was. I could have had candy apples and gum and cookies and money and all sorts of things. But no, I had to listen to you, you blockhead. What a fool I was. Trick or treats come only once a year. And I miss it by sitting in a pumpkin patch with a blockhead. You owe me restitution. You blockhead. Have you ever wanted to say that to anybody? Well, I mean, that word's probably not in fashion. You probably have a different word that you might choose to use. 
for people who disappoint you. And that's what we saw right there in cartoon form. Sally put her trust in Linus, stayed out all night waiting for, waiting for this great pumpkin to arrive, and was disappointed, let down because of one person. That's the kind of disappointment that we feel. And maybe we don't take matters into our own hands like Sally did, although sometimes it would be nice to be able to grab somebody and shake them like that. But that's the kind of disappointment that we get from other people. If you had not figured this out yet, last week we said that life isn't fair. That's kind of a general principle. Let me give you another general principle. Life is full of blockheads. Life is full of blockheads. There are a lot of people who are going to disappoint you, a lot of people who are going to let you down. And, and it's real simple to know why. It's because we're all imperfect people. We're all frail creatures of dust. We all have our faults and our foibles. We all have our weaknesses. And, and therefore, we're going to let people down. And when we're disappointed by other people, we have a lot of choices of what we can do with it. Some people get angry. Some people get bitter. Some people throw a tantrum. Some people pout. A lot of times we're told, if you're frustrated, disappointed with somebody, just get over it. Well, it would be nice if it were that easy. We just kind of push a button and just get over it. But that's not the way life works. So how do we deal with the issues of being disappointed by people? Because it's going to happen. As I begin to think about this, um, my mind went back to, you know, kind of tracing some of the people in the Bible who were disappointed, and there were a lot of them. One of the main stories, and you may want to go back and look it up this afternoon in Genesis, one of the main stories is a guy named Joseph who was super disappointed. I mean, now I have to tell you, if you go back and do this and read about the life of Joseph, and then you go and think about your dysfunctional family, you will thank God you have yours. Because Joseph's family was really messed up. Anyway, it was so messed up that Joseph's own brothers sold him into slavery. I think I'd be pretty disappointed if my family sold me into slavery. And then he, he had worked his way up a little bit up the ladder, and he was, he was making his own way in life when he was falsely accused by a woman of rape. But that would be disappointing. Tossed in prison. He was left there to languish. There was a guy who, who uh, because of some dream interpretation that he was able to provide for him, it, it, he ended up being released. And he said, don't forget me. And the guy forgot him. Disappointment. One after another after another, this man Joseph was disappointed. Now, he's not the only person in Scripture. My mind fast-forwarded up to the New Testament, and I thought about Jesus, even being the Son of God, even knowing what was to come to him. Imagine the disappointment that he felt when Judas got it from the table and left. Imagine the disappointment that he felt as he stood there being accused of of all kinds of things, whipped and beaten, and, and Peter stood off in the distance and denied him not once, not twice, but three times. Imagine that disappointment. Lots of places that we could have gone in the Bible to see examples of people who were disappointing, who were disappointed with others. But I ended up settling in a book in the New Testament called Second Timothy. Second Timothy. We're going to look there this morning. 
Before we do, I want to tell you that Paul's life was filled with disappointments. But sometimes they came from external sources. For instance, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 11, we read this. This is, this, Paul's describing the things he's happened in his life. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. That would be 39, just so that you know, in case you were wondering. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger uh, from, from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Wow. Whenever we think about our little sufferings for our faith, go back and read that. kind of puts it in perspective. But these are the things that challenged Paul's life, the opposition that he had without. And he would have remembered that Jesus had said, in this world you will have trouble. And he would have stood up and shouted, amen to that. He knew about trouble from without. He knew about all the the issues in life, all the disappointments that would come in life. But you know, the, the greatest disappointments we have in life are not with the people who are opposed to us, but the people that we love and love us. Those are the people that we're most disappointed, get the most disappointed by. Those people who are close to us. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open it up to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 to 22. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 to 22. We'll put the words on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles, it's, it's good to open it there and to, and to follow along because you may want to mark that in some way to come back to it, depending on what God has said to you. And here we see people that Paul knows, that know Paul. Paul, People that Paul has partnered with. And we're going to find out some of his disappointments. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to begin reading at verse 9. Paul writes, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left in Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. You too should be on your guard against him because he is strongly opposed to our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And he goes on. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus in sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Uh, Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, 
not the Linus that was in the Charlie Brown thing. Claudia and all the brothers, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Now, that was a long portion of Scripture, and we won't pick all of it apart, but I think there's some interesting things that we can find in this passage that will help us as we, as we face up when other people disappoint us. How do we approach this? How do we handle disappointments? And the first, first action out of this that, that we need to take is that we need to know that we're all broken people. Rick Warren wrote, if you'll remember, A Purpose Driven Life, and the first line of his book was, it's not about you. If I, I think if I were to sit down and write a book about the Christian life, it would be, we are all broken. That would be my first line. We are. We're all cracked and dented and chipped in, in various ways. We're all broken people, and until we get to heaven, all the pieces won't be put together just right. We are, we're messed up. We have sin, we have selfishness, and sometimes our motives are mixed. And because of that, you're going to be let down in this world. I don't, I don't know how you express this to, to couples who sit in marriage counseling. Sometimes they sit there and they're kind of doe-eyed and they think that everything's going to... As soon as we say, I do, just heavenly bliss is just going to overwhelm us. And we'll live forever in this just wafting along in heavenly bliss. It doesn't quite work that way. And I guess there's no way to actually find out what it's going to be like until you jump right in it. But anybody who's been married for any length of time will tell you, there are times when my husband disappoints me. There are times when my wife disappoints me they let me down some of you have noticed that i kind of trimmed my hair up i tried to put it off to a weed eater accident but no one believed it actually i i i got it cut like this because uh, i had a chance this past week to see mike dawkins and his is gone and i said i just i want to do something tangible as a reminder to for me to pray for him and everyone else who's struggling for, with cancer. And, and so uh, I, I got a little bit of a trim. So I walk in the house, and I didn't expect Nancy to like it. She didn't even like it when I trimmed my beard. She almost called off the wedding. I had a full beard when we were engaged, and I shaved before I went down for the wedding. And she took one look at me. And she went through with it. So I, so I come in the house, and my head's like this, and she looks at me, and instead of saying, you know, that was, a, that was such a kind, thoughtful thing that you did, she burst out laughing. <laughs> Husbands and wives, we will disappoint one another. It happens. It's part of life, and broken people often act like blockheads. And so we need to remember. We need to know that we're all broken people, and because of that, disappointments will come. And maybe you'll be taken less by surprise the next time it happens. Secondly, realize that when those close to you disappoint you, it hurts worse. We kind of expect, when I'm driving back and forth to Athens on 15, I expect to run into blockheads. I just do. I mean, it. It, it doesn't make it, I don't like it, but I expect it. And it doesn't really hurt me that badly. It's just annoying. But when people that you are close to and are close to you, when they disappoint you, that hurts a lot. 
a lot worse. We ran into some people in this portion of Scripture that maybe you're not familiar with. One guy, did you notice Demas who's in here? Demas had abandoned Paul and abandoned the mission that they were on. Demas appears two other times in Scripture. On both occasions, he's shown to be Paul's partner in spreading the gospel to the world. He was someone who was there that Paul could count on. He was faithful to Paul. He was faithful to Christ. He was faithful to the mission. But something happened, and he left Paul high and dry. And the only hint that we have, is we find it here in the Scripture, is, is, is he left because he loved this world. And that's the only hint we have as to why he abandoned Paul. Because he loved this world. And we're left to speculate. Did, you know, all those things that Paul said he went through for the sake of the gospel, did all that finally get to Demas and he said, you know, this is just too much. It would be a lot easier to go back to my old life, go back and, and do what I had done formerly. He said he went to Thessalonica. I mean, did the did First Baptist Church of Thessalonica just put together a really good financial package for him? And he said, you know what, Paul, see you. <laughs> I got, a, I got a better life over here. We don't really know. Except that he loved this world. There will be a lot of people who disappoint you for that very reason. Because the things of the world get a hold of them. And they begin to value those things more than they value you or the vital things. Demas was one such man. He left Paul high and dry. Some of you can imagine the disappointment. Some of you don't have to imagine it. Some of you have lived the disappointment. You've been abandoned by your spouse. You've been abandoned by your children. You've been abandoned by your parents. Friends who were once so near and dear to you left you high and dry in the moment of your deepest need. And when it happens, it hurts. Because when people who are close to us walk away, it rips out part of our hearts. Now, the natural human tendency is to say, I don't like that. And therefore, I'm going to prevent this from happening again by isolating myself from people. I just won't get too close. I won't invest my heart too much because it hurts. But I want to tell you, God didn't design you that way. God designed you to be interconnected, interwoven with the body of Christ in particular and with your family as well. God designed you to be interwoven and interconnected. And when you're disappointed by those people, people in the body of Christ, people in your church, I I know people who have absolutely left the church because they were disappointed by how someone responded and someone reacted. They just left the church. I know families because one family member who's disappointed the other. The families are just broken apart. That is a risk. But it is a risk worth taking. Because if you don't take the risk 
to be interconnected. If you don't take the risk that you'll be disappointed by others, you will never know the joy of being a part of a family of faith. You will never know the joy of having people rally around you, having people support you in prayer, having people carry you. I was talking to Bonnie Arthur uh, this week. Death of her sister, sudden thing. And she said, and I've heard this so many times, I felt the prayers. That's what she said. I felt the prayers. I was strengthened by those prayers in the time of my need. You see, when we don't take the risk to get close, we may avoid some of the pain, but we lose all the benefits of being connected. Third, forgive those who disappoint you, but be cautious of those who intentionally harm you. You've heard the phrase forgive and forget. Well, unless you have amnesia, that's not happening. You can forgive, but the likelihood of forgetting is nil, okay? That just doesn't happen. As a matter of fact, the only person in the Bible that we know of who can forgive and forget is God himself. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. But it's not amnesia or dementia on God's behalf. It is an, an, a decision to forget our sin, the decision to remove our sin from us and to remember it no more. And so God kind of acts on a different level than we can. For us, people are going to hurt us. We're going to be disappointed in people, and we have to figure out how to wrestle with that issue and to forgive them. There were some other people who were mentioned here in this portion of Scripture that we've read Paul writes to Timothy and he says, I want you to go out of your way. I want you to go pick up Mark on your way. I want you to bring Mark to me. Now, when we read this just in a general reading, it, it, we go, okay, so what? He's important for me in the ministry. What's the big deal with that? But when we understand kind of the inner workings, and this is why it's, I don't know what your Bible reading habits are. A lot of you have devotional material and, and that's great and and getting some of God's word is better than not getting some of God's word. But a lot of times all you get is just a handful of verses a day. And the problem with that is it's all kind of floating out there. It's not connected in any way and you don't get the, the bigger picture. And so that's why I encourage people. That's a good thing to do. But sometimes put a pause on that and just take time to read through an entire book of the Bible and just, just have a notebook there and just write down what it is that you, you understand, what you don't understand, what God said to you, what you'd like to ask a question about. Just kind of write that down because it gives you a bigger, bigger expansive picture. I mean, if someone just walked into your life and just took a snapshot of your life, would they understand you? No. And so when, it's, when it comes time to read God's Word, it's okay to have devotional time where you're just getting little bits and pieces, but sometimes we need a bigger picture. And getting a bigger picture will help us to understand what Paul was talking about when he said, bring Mark. You see, way back in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas, who were teamed up, 
Barnabas was Paul's mentor. Barnabas was a guy who stood up for Paul, who said, this is God, God's anointing is all over him, and, 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 and we need to support him, and we need to encourage him as he goes out and carries the gospel to the Gentiles, and Barnabas went with him, and they were just teamed up for life. I mean, this is one of those tag teams from way back when I used to watch wrestling, you know, Black Jack Mulligan and Chief Wahoo McDaniel teamed up. They were a team. They were a pair. Well, they were getting ready to go on a mission trip. And Barnabas said, I've got a nephew, Mark, John Mark. I'd like him to come along with us. And Paul said, okay. And so they went. Well, the problem was they got out on the mission trip, and Mark started getting homesick. He wanted mama. And so he left. He went and went back home. And then Paul and Barnabas went on with their mission trip. Well, a little bit later, they got ready to go on another mission trip. And Barnabas said, hey, listen, you think we could take Mark along? And Paul said, no way. That's not happening. You remember what happened last time we were taking him? He just left. He went home to mama. I don't need a mama's boy on this trip. It's a serious business. And so this is what we find in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 40. Sometime later... Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So God had a way to work out something good to make two missions teams out of this. But did you notice Paul's attitude towards Mark was anything but positive. And yet, what do we read here? He tells Timothy, listen, on your way, I want you to come. I want you to come quickly. But on your way, go out and get Mark and bring him to me. We don't know how. We don't have all the details. But somewhere along the line, Paul and Mark had reconciled. There was forgiveness and there was restoration in this relationship. Timothy, uh, Mark had disappointed Paul tremendously. And yet there was forgiveness and there was restoration. Paul practiced what he preached. In Colossians 3.13, he told the church in Colossae, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, I don't know how this happens in your life, but a lot of times I'll do something and I'll be rolling along and God just catches me in a quiet moment. Maybe it's before I go to sleep at night. Maybe it's when I wake up in the morning. Maybe it's during a quiet time. Maybe it's during a walk or a drive. God gets a hold of me and says, hey, you know, you've been, you've been preaching this, but you haven't been living this. And it'd be easy to imagine that Paul, during a time of prayer, during a time of fasting, on one of his voyages, that, that God said, or maybe after he wrote these words to the Colossians, he wrote that down, forgive one another. And Paul would tap. God would tap Paul on the shoulder and say, hey, listen, that sounds really good. It ought to be because I just inspired you to write it. 
But what about Mark? What about forgiving him as I've forgiven you? Some point along the line, that relationship was repaired. It was restored. Even though Paul had been disappointed in Mark. That's something we need to keep in mind. Disappointments aren't necessarily fatal. Disappointments aren't necessarily final. There is grace, there is forgiveness, and there is restoration. And there may be someone that God has actually tapped you on the shoulder this morning and said, Hey, you know what you just heard about forgiveness? What about so-and-so? What about that friend? What about that classmate? What about that family member? Maybe you you ought to practice a little of that forgiveness with them. Well, that's, that's good for us to understand. But there's another guy in here, and Paul responds in a little different way. Alexander, the metal worker. In 2 Timothy 1.20, we find mention of an Alexander who is probably the same guy. This Alexander, Paul says, his faith was shipwrecked. It lie broken and in pieces. He had been, this guy Alexander had been speaking badly about the faith and had been living in a way that was contrary to the Christian faith. And so basically the old term, he was churched, he was excommunicated, he was put out of the church. He was let go, he was taken off the membership role at the church. Because the things he was saying and the things he was doing were contrary to the truth, were contrary to the gospel. He was removed from the church. And this Alexander is most likely the guy who then went on a crusade to bring Paul down. You know, the purpose purpose of church discipline is not to humiliate people and to punish them. The purpose of church, uh, uh, church discipline is reconciliation and restoration. That's the whole purpose of it. When someone is, is taken off the church roll because of action or taken out of a place of service and, and put on the sidelines, it's not because they're hated and, and despised and they're worse than everybody else. It's just because as believers, we carry the reputation not only of Grace Fellowship, but we carry the reputation of Christ. And to accept that and to not point it out and to not make a deal of it, it, it it's to look at it and go, well, that's, that's really not important. It's not important that our lives reflect positively on Christ. Well, it is. But Alexander then took this, and instead of being humble, and instead of coming back and saying, you know, you're right, let's go through restoration, Alexander went on a crusade to bring Paul down. And what Paul says about Alexander is different than what he said about Mark. What he says about Alexander is twofold. First of all, God will take care of it. It's not my responsibility. I don't have to go after him. But secondly, he told Timothy, don't you trust him. Don't trust him. He's not worthy of your trust. The call to forgive is not a call to be a doormat who's stomped on time after time after time. People are responsible for their actions. And their actions have consequences. And even though we give up our right to get back at them, we still don't have the 
responsibility to put them in that position to intentionally hurt us, harm us, injure us over time. That is foolishness. It is not forgiveness. And so we need to remember that we are called to forgive, but we're also told to be cautious about those who would intentionally harm us. And then, and then the fourth truth that we can draw from this in action is to remember that you never truly stand alone. Paul's disappointment was not limited to Demas, not limited to Alexander. He says, at my first defense, no one was there to stand with me. How hurtful is that? Now, this is Paul's second arrest in Rome, and it was all because of the gospel that he's been arrested. We don't know whether Paul was referring to his first trial or to, most likely, probably the the pre-trial phase of, of Roman justice. Whichever one it was, what he says is, here I, I, I've given my life to serve Christ, and I've been all over this world to share the love of Christ and to, to help plant churches and to strengthen churches and, and to mentor other men who could then continue to mentor. And, and I, I've, I've spent my life investing it for the kingdom. I spent my life investing it for the church. And here I was standing up being falsely accused before the Roman government and there was no one there to stand with me. I was utterly alone. Some of you know how that feels, don't you? In the time of your greatest heartbreak and tragedy, there was no one there to stand with you. You felt completely alone. But in the midst of this, Paul makes an acknowledgement. He has a faith. He has a belief. He makes an acknowledgement that, no, I wasn't really alone. God was there with me at all the time. He was standing right there. He wasn't off cloud hopping. God was right there with me in the midst of my struggle and hurt and hardship. And though I felt alone, and it's a very strong feeling, though I felt alone, I was not alone. He was there strengthening me, encouraging me, giving me a holy boldness to say what I ought to say. Yes, I wish I had some friends who would stand beside me and when I was falsely accused, say, no, that's not the Paul I know. That's not the man I know. I I was with him. He never did that. He never said that. Or to at least have somebody who before he went to stand up would come and put their arm on his shoulder and say, Paul, I just want to let you know I'll be praying with you, buddy. I'm here for you. I'm going to be lifting you up. I've told the church, they're praying for you. No, he felt utterly alone, but he understood that even though he felt alone, he wasn't alone. God was there with him. Now, how did he get to a point of that faith? Because i got to tell you, that for some people, they just crumple. Like an old, you know, one of these, these cheap Pepsi cans, they just crumple. How did he know God was with him in his moment of utter loneliness because he'd walked with God every day of his life and he had seen God be faithful in the small things so he could trust him with the big things 
When he felt alone, a little bit alone at times, he found out God was there and God was strengthening him. And so in this time, as he gets to this point in his life, he knew he didn't have a God who would abandon him. He knew he didn't have a God who would turn his back and walk away. He knew he had a God who would be there. And that is so important for us, folks, because we... We take God for granted as we go through our days and we don't give him the thanks and the praise and the honor that is due him. We stood up and we talked about the sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless the Lord. Well, that, that's great on Sunday. But if you've checked your calendars, tomorrow's Monday. How many of you are going to wake up tomorrow morning? The sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. No. You're going to wake up and go, is it, is it morning yet? Was that the alarm? Who's getting up first this morning, me or you? I, it just hit the snooze button. It's kind of hard to put that into music. But that becomes our attitude. We need to learn to walk with God and to experience Him on a daily basis because there's going to come a crisis moment in your life when you are going to be right there, maybe absolutely alone, facing something bigger than you are, and you have to ask yourself, is God with me in this moment or not? And if you don't know Him daily, it's going to be hard to know Him when your back's up against the wall. And you're all alone. Folks, we have a faith that is fit for the real world. It's not fantasy. It's reality. We have a God who's with us in the real world. In a fake world, we'd never have any problems. We'd never have any issues. And nobody would disappoint us. But that's not the world we live in. I can almost guarantee you that before this day is done, someone close to you will disappoint you. It may be a small thing. It may be a big thing. But you'll be disappointed. Do you have a God that's with you in the disappointments? Do you have a God that's with you when you feel all alone? I do. If you don't, I have a very special invitation for you this morning. Trade up. Get rid of your God that's too small. And get one that's bigger than you've ever imagined. A God whose love is so great that he would send his own son to die on a cross for your sin. A God who would redeem you. A God who would call you his own. A God who would prepare a heavenly home for you. I invite you to receive him by receiving his son, Jesus Christ. If you've never known that kind of faith, that kind of closeness to God, you can know it. And it's available today.